Welcome to the KDME podcast. This is episode number 10. I am Chris Hutchinson, and as always, I am here with my partner, Katie Rogers. Katie, how are you? We are, because it is coronavirus and we are practicing social distancing, we have been doing this episode and last episode via Zoom. So the sound quality may not be as great as what you're accustomed to, but our producer, Pete, will do his best to fluff it up and make it sound nice and pretty. But uh, we have some limited technology. So, And that's just because neither Katie nor I have reliable headphones. So we're literally using, I'm using my daughter's old Cinderella headphones right now. So anyway, today we're going to talk to you about a couple of different things uh, in light of all that is changing in the world right now with coronavirus. There's unfortunately a lot of downsizing that's occurring and employment changes. So I want to talk to you a little bit today about uh, how to update your resume or some keys that I have found that are important when updating your resume. And before I get into that, I just want to recognize our show partner. And our show partner is Audible. If you're not familiar with Audible, Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. And in today's crazy changing times, we all have some free time at home, whether we want it or not. And it is an excellent time to download a free trial of Audible and check out their thousands and thousands of titles. If you are interested in getting a free trial of Audible, I encourage you to go to audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. So thank you to Audible for being a show partner. Uh, As I've mentioned in the past, I was in the technical staffing and recruiting uh, business for a number of years, about five or six years. I worked for one of the largest privately held staffing companies in the world. And I specialized in technical staffing around engineers, uh, health and science, architecture, commercial. Uh, I pretty much was involved in a little bit of everything. And as my time as a recruiter and account manager, there were three main variables that were consistent in resumes that we presented to candidates and in turn of candidates that we looked to hire internally. So I just kind of want to walk through those a little bit with you. I know everybody had their own way of doing resumes, and by no means is this something that you have to engrave in stone, but I've had a lot of success with this, and a lot of my colleagues have as well. So obviously, you want to have everything up to date on your resume, which may seem obvious, but it's more than just having your uh, hard copy of your resume up to date. It's wherever you have a footprint. So wherever your digital footprint is, wherever you have a digital resume, most people use LinkedIn. Um, you may have you know, a website that's dedicated to your portfolio. You need to be updating that on a regular basis, even when you're happily employed, because of the number of projects and things that you're involved in that reflect a lot of different competencies. But when it really comes down to it, actually, let me pause for a second. Katie, do you even have a resume? I do have a resume and it's terrible, Chris. It's absolutely awful. Um, In fact, um, when I was looking for work last year before I took the job managing the organic farm that I run, you told me my resume was awful. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I did. <laughs> I, I was honest. Um, yeah. But you, you made obviously some great changes and, and got this position. But it's, it's important. I mean, and someone as worldly as yourself, you, you, even you need to have an updated <laughs> resume to reflect all the incredible things that, that you've done and are doing. So yeah, I kind of brought that up because I pull no punches. I would be more than happy to look at anyone's resume and give them an honest <laughs> analysis Careful but, what you ask for. <laughs> there were there were there were a number of things, not a number of things. There were a handful of things that Katie was missing, and a lot of people miss as well. And so I always look at a resume, and I want to see the story that you're trying to tell a prospective employer. And the first one is how are you going to make that company that you're applying to or want to work for? How are you going to make them money? And everybody always assumes, well, I'm not a salesperson. Uh, I don't have a sales role. I don't really have a way to make a company money per se. Uh, and that's, that's not accurate. So regardless of your position, everything translates to a dollar sign. So there's always something that you're doing that is generating revenue for the organization that you're working for. Or another way to think about it is, how am I justifying my salary? How am I, whether it's an hourly wage whether it's commission, whether it's base plus commission or a high base, what are you doing to make the company money that is in excess of your salary? And again, you have to review it as not just being in a pure sales role. You have to understand that you're, you're always selling, whether you're managing an organic farm, whether you are writing technical manuals, whether you are a server, whether you are a project manager, quality control, you're still making a company money by doing your job well. Conversely, Katie, I guess one thing that, that you do with, or that I know you're good at doing, is that you've, you take on projects that maybe are, maybe need some processes improved, uh, or maybe there's ways to improve revenue streams. So I think when we were talking and, and I knew, you know, the position that you were going for, you kind of demonstrated or told me things that you had done when you lived in different parts of the country that mm -hmm. you know, generated a different revenue, et cetera. And, and mm -hmm. I, we got, you know, we found a creative way to try and demonstrate that. Do mm -hmm. you agree? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Absolutely. I don't think about the things I've done the way other people think about the things I've done. Yeah. We're working on that too, but that's a, that's a, <laughs> that's a podcast for another time. <laughs> okay. So on the flip side of how do you make company money, the, the other side of that is how do you save the company money? And this one may be a little bit easier, particularly for people that aren't necessarily in sales, but almost everybody, again, you have a salary that you have to justify. So even if you don't have a budget per se, so if you're not at a management level or a director level where you're given a budget or a staff, your budget is your own salary. And so what are you doing that is creating savings for the business? And so one example was that with a person that I, I mentored in a, in a previous position, she was really good at once she had a project on her plate of managing it and making sure that it was being done effectively and there wasn't a dilution or duplication of, of efforts mm -hmm. or resources. But one area that she struggled in was uh, doing requests for proposals and kind of grinding down the vendors to get a better price. So the negotiation side, which not everyone is necessarily great at, <laughs> and it takes practice, and sometimes mm -hmm. it can be intimidating, but she got really good at it. 
And when she was looking for a new job, I had worked with her. I said, hey, where's all the stuff you did where we implemented that brand new RFP process where we had to have at least three vendors and you know, we, we developed this, this rubric to evaluate uh, or she you know, developed this rubric to evaluate vendors. Where is that in here? You're not reflecting that anywhere in your resume. And it ended up being like you know, a 12 to 14% cost savings, uh, which you know, on some projects was 14 to $20,000. You know, that, that's significant. So mm-hmm. finding ways to capture that and, and add that into your resume is, is really important. And I know you can appreciate that, Katie, because you've worked in a ton of nonprofits, right? So cost savings yeah. are incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely it is. So then the last piece of all this um, is how are you measuring those metrics? How are you measuring how the company, how you made the company money or how you saved the company money? And not just, <laughs> it can't be qualitative. <laughs> Here's where you need to have some quantitative we increased sales by X percent or we slashed our budget by X percent. And you need to show them year over year what that was. It's not the most, it's not the sexiest part of the resume, but it's very effective. Honestly, even today in my role as now a vice president, anytime I'm evaluating a resume, I barely look at the words. I go and look immediately at what numbers they have in their resume because that's what's going to jump out of me. I want to see numbers. And I'm not I'm not a, a number cruncher per se. You know, I've been in sales and marketing and numbers to me move the meter, but I wouldn't consider myself this statistician or anything like that, but it's important. And I know ultimately when I have to make a presentation to leadership, I have to be able to justify the decisions that we make and 99 times out of 100 there's going to be a bottom line. So Mm-hmm. If you're not actively presenting yourself as someone that can speak to those numbers, you're doing yourself a disservice. And I know it's not sexy and I know it's kind of boring, but it's very, very important. And Katie, I mean, I helped you get that job. Let's be honest. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I, it never would have occurred to me to highlight any kind of numbers on a resume. Like I am terrible at resumes and will take all the advice I can get. But yeah, I, I did everything wrong on mine. I highlighted the things I was most proud of, but didn't do it in a way that spoke to managers. Everyone has uh, their own blinders, right? So I probably need to highlight some of the qualitative and leadership and team building things that I've been told I'm good at as opposed to just making it, you know, number driven. So there, there, there is a happy balance, particularly in more quote unquote creative positions. You obviously want to demonstrate that you have competencies in software packages and things that, you know, you're going to be asked to design on, but there's always a number. And if, you know, if you're getting hired on in a position that there's a big software seat that is associated with it, you know, you got to remember, it's not just your salary, but it's, it's the software they're using. All those things you need to you need to show that you can at least have the understanding that your position is more than just what your salary and health benefits are, but it's all the materials and tools that the company is putting into you and the training and all that. Uh, it's just it's an important way to view how you present yourself, and, and importantly in today's day, you know, as as you're redoing resumes, and for some of you those that are unfortunately maybe displaced, just something to keep in mind. And if you are ever interested and want an opinion, I'd be more than willing to take a look at your resume. You can email me at chris at katieandme.com. And that's chris, C-H-R-I-S, at K-A-T-Y-A-N-D-M-E.com. 
and uh, I will take a look at it and give you some feedback and advice. Wow, okay. that's quite the offer, folks. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so so bear with me if if I get all like two thousand of you to suddenly email me in the next twenty four hours, give me a little bit of time to reply. But uh, yeah, but, but you know you're sheltering in place. You've nothing right, exactly. to do. <laughs> but my challenge is my challenge to you is so my action item is is if you send me your resume, I want you to at least take an attempt at trying to quantitate it. So try and attempt to to associate some numbers with what you've done uh, in the past. And if you're real nice, I may even send you a sample of my resume because I've had more jobs than anybody. <laughs> <laughs> you have an amazing resume. You're the yeah. first resume I I really saw that was as long as it is. Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because yeah. <laughs> I've had a lot of jobs. I'm 47. I'm just figuring out now what I want to do. So yeah, <laughs> take that with a grain of salt. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not very knowledgeable. <laughs> <laughs> Although I was, I was in the recruiting space for almost seven years. So yeah, I, no, that, no, I did you, know that. So. <laughs> you did good things for mine. I appreciate it. So All right, well, I will take a break from rambling on about that, but I, it was just something cause I know a lot of people, um, the, the company I work through went work for now, we went through a rift that's related to coronavirus and I know other people are dealing with it as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything I can do to help, um, I will do. We need to stick together and, and get good people back to work uh, as quickly as we can. And, you know, and I'll just leave this out there. The scope of employment, it's probably going to change. You know, there's, there's going to probably be a, a large push to working from home or skills that you can do from home or online. Um, I think you're going to see more and more of that. I hope that the coronavirus was a wake-up call and helps us become better prepared and not only just in the United States, but as a world, but it may also from a business model standpoint, realize that, wow, when you have to shelter in place, it really can dramatically hurt the economy. Maybe we should start putting some plans in place where we have, you know, a rotating workforce, some of which is working from home, et cetera. So even if you still are currently employed, I think the scope of the employment realm in this world is going to change. So it might not be a bad idea to update your resume just in case. So with that, I will pause on that subject. Let's take another quick break and another quick uh, thank you to our show partner, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks. And I believe, Katie, you are an Audible savant, correct? Oh my gosh, I love Audible. I don't know what people are doing right now without it. I didn't know what you were all doing before without Audible. <laughs> many- but now you could knock out a book every two days. Just, how many yeah. uh, How many Audible books did you listen to on the plane ride back and forth uh, to Europe and the United States? Well, um, total on the trip, I think I knocked out three in a week. That's not bad. Yeah, no, it's really not. And here's the thing. I can listen to Audible while walking the streets of Paris or London or Oxford, and I cannot stick a book in my face and read it that way. So yeah. So while I'm planting in the greenhouses or in the fields, on the farm, I'm out on the tractor, I'm doing whatever, I'm imbibing in books. And it's a really remarkable technology. And I know you well enough to know that uh, you weren't listening to... Dr. Seuss books, you were listening to probably like 500 page novels or biographies. Um, But that being said, if you are interested, if you haven't tried Audible and you would like a free trial of Audible, please visit audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. 
Katie, you wanted to talk a little bit about differences in primary sources and journalism and media. I know you had some recent exposure with this on your trip back from Europe. So why don't you give us uh, an update or an overview on that? Yeah, so really quickly here, I want to talk about the definitions of media and journalism, and then I want to talk about primary sources. So media is like everything you take in, whether it's on your computer or laptop, it's on your phone, it's a billboard, it's your television, it's all media. The Kardashians are media. Your social media is media. People who sell you makeup are media, commercials are media. It's all media. And because everyone is capable of being that, it means nothing. All right. So you're saying our podcast means nothing because we're media. I'm saying that everyone who listens to us should go find a primary source and verify something before they make a life change of any consequence. Now, you and I try and give people the right information do all of this. and But we are not journalists. So a journalist right. is someone who's working for ideally a reputable source. <laughs> right. It's not always. There's lots of outlets for, for journalists who maybe aren't the best trained or have an agenda, right? So right. what you want to do is you want to find journalists with a reputation for doing a good job, being thorough, being unbiased, and just reporting the facts. You know, whether it's Nino Totenberg or, or whoever it is, uh, Molly Wood, um, these people are reputable journalists and that reputation matters because if they make a mistake, it is redacted. They're responsible mm-hmm. for that. It is brought up. But in the general media, social or otherwise, all kinds of information can be put out without filters and If you don't understand the difference between, say, a blog post, I write a blog. If you don't understand the difference between a blog post and the accountability and the responsibility there and the New York Times, then you need to do some research because you need to trust the Times Mm -hmm. over a blog post. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So media is everything that you're taking in that's broadcast and mass. And through all the different formats, journalists are people who are trained to report events. And then there is a primary source. And a primary source is something like the researcher who did a double-blind study that's been backed up. It is the WHO, the the World Health Organization. Mm -hmm. It is the CDC. It is someone who has done the work themselves and can prove it, can show it, can back it up. That's a primary source. And so ideally, your information comes from primary sources. But you need to understand, not all media is journalism. Not all media is reporting something from a primary source. And so when I hear people say, I don't trust the media, I say, well, no kidding. What Mm -hmm. are you listening to? Mm-hmm. This is a frustration of mine. This, this I don't trust the media. And you don't know the difference between a primary source or a media outlet that is reputable, reliable, accountable for what they report, prints redactions and mm-hmm. corrections. Right. And, you know, a blog or any media outlet whose claim to fame is 
the legs on the people that they're putting on the camera, right? So, right. so right. if they're using sex appeal, if they're yelling, if they're using crisis reporting, all of these things, you should go, oh, this is media, but maybe not journalism. And definitely not reporting from primary sources. And you need to understand the differences between those things. It is critical that we explain what these three words mean to the people that we're in contact with, particularly those who are, feel that the internet lends any credibility to something. It does not. Just because something's on the internet means nothing. Right. And we need to help people who didn't grow up with the internet understand that. So it's that is my rant. But it's a monumental task though, Katie. I mean, yes. everybody is so um, entrenched in, and we've, we've touched on this before, but so entrenched into their preferred sources of information. And we talked about how in groups and out groups, and you're going to want to go where the news or the, the media or the journalism is part and parcel with what you believe um, because then it it justifies your feelings and um, it may not be, you may not be doing yourself a good service by, you know, looking at the full scope because you're kind of pigeonholed in on one thing. But I mean, it's such a massive, massive task. And I think that we can delve more into this on, on uh, our Patreon show as well uh, because this lends a little bit to um, differences in, in political opinion, I think, but there is such a, such a negative connotation towards media, like you talked about, which I, you know, I think that there are respectful journalists on, um, on all the major networks. I'm, I'm a little bit left-leaning, but I do think there are some responsible journalists on Fox. Um, I, I do. There, that uh, do a, a fairly good job trying to be bipartisan. But the overwhelming feeling, whether you are left-leaning or a moderate or right-leaning, is that you have your source of information, and by God, you're going to listen to that or consume that, and you would be caught dead listening to Fox or CNN or MSNBC or whatever it may be. And so there's, you know we're in this quagmire where we don't know where to go to get reliable information and journalists that are trying to do their best are handcuffed in a large part by what outlet they work for or, you know, what, what it is that they're saying. And if it's in, if it's in conflict with what others are saying. So I, I love your rant, but it's a much bigger problem than, well, can't we all just read multiple sources? I, I just don't think we're at a space where people are willing to do that. Okay, so there's, I mean, there's a lot of things though that could be addressed. And you're right, people do have a tendency to gravitate towards sources that reinforce what they already believe, their own worldview, as it were. We're all responsible for finding sources that are simply reporting the news. Yeah. Right? And so... We have a tendency to draw false equivalencies between news sources that um, have gained their popularity because of sex appeal or being loud or crisis reporting and those who have consistently simply sent their people to report on what's happening on the ground. That is a false equivalency. And if you find whatever you're experiencing to be sensational, 
and stimulating because of that sensation, sex appeal, crisis, whatever mm-hmm. it is, then you're not doing, you're not being a responsible consumer. And yep, um, we are all consumers of information. That's what we are. And so it's really critical that we understand that we are responsible for finding information that is solely based on fact and not spun as it were, mm-hmm. not selectively chosen. You know, and I've mentioned this before, but one of the things I learned when I was growing up was that if you can't argue both sides, right. uh, I say with quote marks, then you don't understand your own side. And that is true. But we also have to be careful not to draw false equivalencies between information that is purely sensational and facts from the ground. They are not equivalent. It's not a matter of knowing both sides, quotes again, when you say, but what about this 1% of the population that believes this weird conspiracy and try and make it equivalent to the 99% that understand what has actually happened and, and has the facts. And so that's, that's the dilemma for a lot of people. It's mm-hmm. easy to be emotionally caught up in media It's a little harder to sit and listen to the dry news. And the news can be dry, even though we're facing a pandemic and genocide and all kinds of things. I think just the fact that that's engaging can be a little confusing for people. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, our parents' generation, you know, you had three news channels, you know, you had your, your newspaper and the the avenues in which you were receiving your news were much more limited. And so they're like, and they were accountable for what they reported. Right. And you said there's media everywhere, which there is, you know, it does get challenging to, I guess I I like what you're saying. We have a responsibility to, to seek out legit journalism or, or legit primary sources when making an evaluation on a topic. Uh, I just think that, man, it's really challenging right now. It's even challenging yeah. to have conversations because a lot of people aren't willing to look at both sides of an argument. They're entrenched in their way of thinking and that's it. So, you know, I think everybody needs to go back and take debate classes. We need to like start <laughs> mandating that debate classes begin in kindergarten so that people can understand how to look at both sides of an argument and, and be able to, to understand both. But yeah, a lot more to unpack there for sure. I think we should talk a little bit more about that in our Patreon VIP episode. But if any of you have thoughts or if you have a job that you would like for other people to understand what it is that you do and wish that everyone knew about your job, uh, feel free to email Katie and I either at chris at katieandme.com or katie at katieandme.com. And Katie is always K-A-T-Y. Or you can shoot us a tweet on Twitter, which is at Katie and me pod or on Instagram, which is at Katie and me podcast and shoot us some ideas or engage in healthy debate. And you might be a part of a future episode. Thanks so much for your uh, insight today, Katie. I really appreciated it. Thanks, Chris.